Welcome back to Handle the Line Podcast. This is episode 10, and I'm your host, Taylor Boggs, and we brought back Dr. David Looney, Dr. Dickhead, my main man, and we're going to talk some mental health, talk some anxiety and stuff. Got a bunch of questions on my DMs about um, the mental health side of things, specifically asking Looney. You know, we had a really good response. Actually, one of my highest viewed, highest viewed um, episodes on Apple was with you, Looney, so I appreciate you doing that with me. Oh, man, that's that's great to hear. Yeah, I appreciate your expertise. The YouTubes, it's hit or miss, man. Sometimes they're down, sometimes they're up. I've changed the shot. I got my crotch out of the shot. It's not didn't seem to help last week. But the the Apple listens have been consistent. So maybe uh, people just don't like looking at me. (laughs) We we got faces for radio. Yeah, it is what it is, man. Uh, How's everything going with you? Things are good. Things are good. School started. We're rocking and rolling. You know, football is about to start back up. So, you know, watching some preseason games. I'm trying to watch my uh, my Niners with Trey Lance and Garoppolo. But, you know, since we've been talking more O-line, I've been looking at O-line stuff. You know, they got a swing guy in there uh, at left tackle and right tackle. He's going to be a, the, one of the swing guys. So I've been watching him a little, you know, I'm getting back into that, you know? I mean, they got, they have a solid O-line, man. One of the best left tackles in the league. They got uh glitchy at right tackle. Um, can't remember who the center is. It's not my man, Western Richburg anymore, which. Uh, Mac? Oh, Alex Mack. Yeah. So you have a, you know, the pro bowler there that just yep. seems not to age. And then you got my man, Lakin Thomason at left guard. He's a savage. Uh, yeah, man, I that, love that. That's line is stacked. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a violent line. So I yeah. like it. Uh, so I was going to ask you, do you still watch football? I have a bunch of friends from Humboldt State. Like, some of the most dedicated friends I had as far as preparing, training, they could care less about football now. <laughs> yeah, I still watch it. Um, I'm not as intently as I used to, right? Like, you know, sometimes back in the day we used to – you know, watch certain guys and try to emulate them. Like my dude, I always loved watching John Randall back in the day. I don't know if you remember him. He's a, he's Are you kidding me? He's a D2 legend. I know. Right. Right. So I, I tried to emulate my motor from him. Like when I was like younger and like, cause I, I thought I was a defensive lineman, you know? So I'm oh yeah, we all did. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> no, I, I love John Randall. So um, Texas A&M Kingsville. He's the third All of Famer to come out of that D2 school. It was a him, Gene Upshaw. And I can't think of the cornerback's name. He played for Kansas City. He ran a 4-5-40 at 40 years old. Can't think of his name. And then, of course, my favorite, Havelina, was Roberto Garza. But um, my rookie year, or going into my rookie year, is when uh, John Randall got into the Hall of Fame. So I was so pumped. And I was living in Cleveland training for the combine. I mean, training for my pro day. I'm not a combine invite. And uh, I went up there. I went every week into the Hall of Fame. And then we had the Humboldt State guys, including your brother-in-law, who's the strength coach for the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. Bobby Thomas. He was up there, and I took a picture with the John Randall cardboard cutout. Oh, and uh, he was like, he posted two D2 legends. Little, my legend didn't live like John Randall's, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, you know – I, I, most of my friends have shifted to like watching UFC from from Humboldt State, and uh, which is which is strange to me because of how into football they were. But I get it too. Like it, it's kind of like they were like, yeah, it made them sad when they watched it at first, and and then they just watched me. And then when I was done, 
they're done with it. I'm like, I can't, I can't kick it, man. I, I love it. I love football. I love UFC. I love football, man. Yes. Yes. Um, all right, let's just jump in. I, I, I got a couple questions on the DMs, uh, kind of based off of our last conversation. So we'll just kind of go from there. I think some of these we can both contribute to. Yeah. And then uh, we'll just see where we head, okay? Okay. So the first question was uh, basically when we were remembering, like, talking about the stigma of, of um, anxiety, where I used to say, like, I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was butterflies. And now people get butterflies and they assume, oh, my gosh, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. So what are like, how did they word it? Just basically, how do you know the difference between like your classic butterflies and then like an anxiety that you should probably start trying to seek help or talk to someone about? Yeah, I think one of the main things is the, the butterflies and those low level feelings of anxiety. It's pretty normal, right? I mean everybody's kind of experienced it. It's something you're going to get anytime in you're getting ready to go into a big time event. You know, you might be, you know, going on a date, you got a, you know, a wedding, you're going to give a speech, a bunch of different things. But the main thing is for me, I think is that that leaves, right? So one of the things you had mentioned, Oh, I thought anxiety was just the butterflies, right? I get in the game, I hit someone and then now they're gone. You know, you have a big meeting, you go into the meeting, now your anxiety is gone, right? That's kind of one of the main things is it, it flees. The, the feelings of anxiety flee. Um, one of the things I'd say is that whenever it starts to change from just that normal feeling of anxiety or our butterflies that we would call it, would be <clears throat> if it's starting to affect your performance, you know, in the game and then even outside of life, all right? So, like, if somebody, like how I said, you get your first hit, it's over. The butterflies are gone. Yeah. So, when if they're in the game, like, nervous or coming to the sideline, they're nervous about getting back out there for the next series, now we have an issue. Exactly. I mean, if you're sitting in there, you're in your stance, you're looking over across the guy, and you're worried, or you, got, you might have these thoughts going in your head, oh, I can't block him, he's too fast off the edge. I can't, I can't, you know, you might have awesome spin move or a good inside move. I don't want to get beat inside. And that's affecting your ability pre-snap. And then when you're actually in it, you know, that's when we're seeing it there. If, if you're walking around and again, you know, these things are going to, they're going to affect, they could affect the outside of your life. Right. So you're, you're not able to focus, you know, outside. So if you're in the classroom, if you're in you know, doing study, you know, looking over game tape, you're constantly worrying about these things. You know, you might be worrying, oh, I, I didn't perform very well the other day. So, man, I suck. I'm not good enough. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my scholarly, right? There's other things that, you know, now it's starting to get to where those symptoms of anxiety are, you know, ever present. And that's where we need to, you know, start seeking help. It's kind of like those, uh, you know, I, and I think it ha- has some merit, like affirmations have become such a big thing. That's all that's all the rage. I remember my friend Rios, you remember from Humboldt State? Yeah. He he put he set me up with this uh seminar called Procabulary. And it was like all about uh negative talk and positive talk and affirmations. Well, that was like in 2015. Mm-hmm. But now it's it's all the rage. And I think there's some merit to the affirmations, but kind of how he worded it was like you start having these thoughts in your head where you, you're telling yourself, I don't want to get beat. And your coach is telling you. 
or like, I don't want to get beat inside. Let's make it specific. I don't want to get beat inside. And your coach is telling you, don't get beat inside. Well, that thought becomes a movie and the movie becomes reality. And all of a sudden, like you're playing not to get beat inside. And all of a sudden it really comes to fruition. You get beat inside. Exactly. I, that, that happened to me a, a lot, right? Like, you know, I, I would be thinking, oh, I don't, I don't want to give up a sack, right? And then I think I, it might have been the Western Washington game. I gave up a well, sack. That was, yeah, but at Western Washington? Yeah, yeah, when we were there. Um, that was one of your best games, though. It was. It was. But I was like, I had that thought. I was like, damn, I didn't want to give up a sack. I was telling myself that. And you're like, well, Looney, you, you, you were telling yourself, don't give up a sack. Like, you were already thinking about giving up a sack, right? Like, it's in the sentence, you know? Like, I should yeah. have a different phrase I was telling myself, you know? Yeah. Like, we would talk about that, like, okay, um, with the uh, vocabulary, like a way to – the way you – a coach would say, instead of a coach saying, don't get beat inside, is make sure you stay inside out. And then that way you would tell yourself the same thing, stay inside out. So you're not seeing yourself get beat now. You're seeing yourself stay inside out. You're, and hopefully that's what comes to fruition, right? Yeah, that's a much better coaching cue, right? Because I'm telling – the coach is telling the kid what they want him to do, right? Work inside out as opposed to don't get beat, right? Yeah. I, and, I, and I think it's such a, like a, it's a very high stress culture, uh, football. And those are the cues we get. Everything is don't do this. You can't have this happen. This can't, this can't be. And then that's what we tell ourselves. So like, okay, so that's a good point. So how you relay messages, and I'm not saying this is freaking easy but how a coach relays messages because I try to do this with my kids. And I, a lot of times I'll be like, don't do that. And I want to say is, Hey, be careful. You know, <laughs> or like yes. don't spill this milk. Cause I'm going to be mad. What I should be saying is, Hey man, be careful with the milk. Right. So I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something to kind of be aware of is how coaching cues can contribute to people's mental cues that contribute to anxiety. Right. It, it can. And uh, you know, we're not perfect. Right. I mean, we're, you almost have to work at it. And I think one of the reasons why that verbiage is a little bit easier for me is because we work in, I work in special ed. And so when you're working with someone with autism or a learning disability, uh, you're, those are constant cues, right? We always want to cue the student on what we want them to do. Okay. And we want to give, you know, positive affirmations towards that. Right. So, you know, the culture is vastly different from the football field. You know, we're not, we're not yelling at a kid with autism. Don't spill your milk. Don't do that, right? We're not doing that. You know, I might say like, hey, be more mindful when you're holding, holding the milk carton or you're you know, eating your cereal or something like that, right? There's going to be a specific cue for that kid. And so you, it's just a different culture. And so there's Did, different verbiage. Would you say in the SPED, they, they kind of take things more literally? Like as you say it? Yeah, yeah they can. So yeah, certain kids... You, you can, right? There's going to be, uh, there's going to be certain things you may, may want to say uh, and whatnot. You know, it, it, all, it all is kind of dependent on the kid, but overall, you know, we're focusing more on what we want the kid to do as opposed to, yeah. you know, scolding them for, for other things. Okay. So when I, when I work with young offensive linemen, not like the pro, well, you, yeah, sometimes the pros in colleges, but mostly uh, high school guys, it's such a learned position. You know what I mean? It's not natural. You're, I always say it's closer to speed skating than it is sprinting. Most people can sprint, okay? Maybe the form looks terrible. Maybe they're heel strikers, but they know how to sprint. My kids know how to sprint. 
but they can't speed skate. You know what I mean? Like, and if a, if a uh, lion was chasing them, they would sprint. They wouldn't take a pass set backwards. You know what I mean? So it's, it's so, it's so learned. And when you're like trying to dumb this position down, I kind of find that kids are so, they take everything I say, like literally. So like I had to always refine my coaching cues. So they weren't doing like exactly how they perceive what I was saying. So I had to like find a medium ground. And I think the same goes for, I believe the same goes for those kind of like affirmation coaching points. Of, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and uh, the more don'ts I drop, the more robotic they look. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So no, it's a, it's definitely an interesting topic. Uh, so when I was in high school, so my first couple of years, I sucked, right? First three years, let's say. So uh, my senior year when I was on varsity and I finally like had a starting job after going three years or, you know, freshman, sophomore year, I didn't play one down. I played some, did you guys have frost reserve games in Northern California? Yeah. yeah. So I played some frost reserve. I would rotate in, but that's, you know, that's a, uh, those are the Thursday night games, right? Did we did play? ours on Saturday morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, but on my sophomore year, I didn't play one down. I remember we played Inglewood High. I got to play kickoff. It was I was super excited. Somebody called me a blood. I was like, not me, bro. And uh, uh, that was that. But junior year, you know, no reps, a little finally got in towards the end of the year. And senior year, when I finally got that job, I remember having butterflies all day on Friday. And like, for me, it, it, and this is me thinking back to my 17 year old brain, it made it worth it for me. Like you, there's something this significant in my life that I literally feel it all day until I hit somebody. And like, you kind of think about that, like when your relationships, you get it, when you get in the early stages of relationship, you have that giddy feeling, Uh, you kind of have that anxious feeling, you don't want to mess up, whatever. But for me, I did have these butterflies that lasted all day until the kickoff, you know, and we were we played under the lights. And uh, so, you know, we're talking, I'd wake up, eat breakfast, I'm feeling it. Pre-game, I'm feeling it as we're eating our Mexican food because we're from SoCal. Uh, but I'm feeling it. And then the kickoff comes and it was gone. So, like, I'm, I'm just glad I didn't know about the stigma and anxiety then because I've been freaking out about the butterflies. I think it just, to me, it was just something embraced. It was like, the, it was the gift of, uh, earning the starting job and something that I felt that was significant. It made me feel so, it made me feel alive. Like I'm alive today. I'm going to start in this freaking game in Southern California. I feel alive. Um, and, and I mean, you valued that, right? That's normal. If someone that didn't value playing football, you know, they're not going to have that, right? We played, right. Football, but they, they wouldn't care. They were, they were good enough athletes where they could start, but they didn't care at all about it. They were just out there to be out there. Right. Yeah. And, and, and when I think back to like, think back to my high school career, like, dude, if we lost the game, the whole team was crying, even the kickers. If we, if we lost, when, after we lost to Michigan Viejo my senior year in the playoffs and the semifinal, the whole team's crying. Like, everyone loved it. I don't remember people being scared to mess up. I remember like, maybe you're, you're afraid to hit a guy. Okay, that happens, right? Or someone's just d- way better than you. You know what I mean? He makes you nervous to get beat. But I don't remember people just being having like this anxiety, like I'm seeing with kids now and speaking to kids now and even speaking to parents now. Kids, you know, 
like, I don't want to put it on blast, but even kids like being suicidal. And I don't think it's because of the game. I think there's so many societal multifactorial things, but uh, football was almost like an escape. And I just think now people are, you know, it's different times, but people are, you know, and, and last year was crazy, but people are a little bit more aware of the mental health side to the part where maybe there's not enough education about it. Maybe there's not enough conversations like this where it can become debilitating. I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head on that. It's a positive problem, right? We're talking about it more, but in talking about it more now, you're, you, the, the parents are talking about it. The kids are hearing about it and maybe even, you know, being talked about it to the parents, right? The parents are talking to the kids, but now the kids, they don't, they don't really understand, you know, what is this anxiety? What does this mean? What does this mean for me to have the butterflies? You know, no one's told them, Hey, this is actually kind of normal. It's okay. Go out and hit someone, just play the game, have fun, and it's going to be all right. You know, so for them, there might not be as much guidance as far as what's normal and what's not normal. And they're, yeah. still, learning. they're still learning their bodies. They're still learning the, the English language or whatever language they're being taught that in, right? There's all these nuances that they're still figuring out. I mean, yeah, that's a great point. It's a, I mean, it's a weird time, right? When you're, you're younger and you're, <laughs> I mean, you have social anxiety, I guess. I guess I was more, I had more anxiety with uh, social settings than I ever did with football. And uh, if, if I think back, but yeah, it's, that's an interesting time. And I didn't know that that was even a thing either way. I never knew it was a thing. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's interesting, a positive problem to have. So, I mean, sometimes like solutions can cause other problems with when there's not context and stuff like that, or what we perceive as solutions. Yeah. And I mean, like you're talking about, you growing up, you're kind of anxious already. Right. And then you throw in some of these other factors in. I know I was I used to be really anxious, too, because of my ear. I can't I can't hardly hear. So when people are talking to me, trying to, you know, make what did they say? Yeah. I mean, you've been around me, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You'd always you'd always lean in. It, it always leans in. People like that might be kind of weird. I don't know why. You know. Yeah. But it's, did you have anxiety when you played high school football, you feel like or you played high school football? I did. I had, I had anxiety for football and for basketball. Were you aware of it or, you, or was it like, okay. A little, I, I just, I just knew that it went away. So I would be warming up for the game and I would just be like, I just want this game to get started. I just want to get going. Right. I, I just want to get out there. Cause when, when you're out there, you get focused and, and you kind of forget. Okay. That, that, that was, that was me. I like, okay, man, hurry up. What do we kick this damn ball off? Let's go. You know, and I even I wanted to be on special teams my senior year. That way I can just get there even sooner. You know what I mean? Get that play over with. Um, so what like what I mean, there has to be like an evolutionary biology or evolutionary advantage to having anxiety. Right. Like It keeps us safe. It protects us. What are we talking about here? I think it keeps us safe. I mean, look. Let's think about people that don't have anxiety. And then you ask them, hey, there's, uh, there's something really cool over there, over that bridge or around those bushes or whatnot, right? You should go check that out. If I don't have a little bit of anxiety about staying alive, I might be walking into a trap. And, you know, maybe this is back <laughs> today. And Without you know, questioning it. And, and, a, and a, saber, a saber-toothed tiger jumps out. And <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I think evolutionarily, it, it, it did help us to stay alive, right, a little bit. Um, 
and you know, it's, it, you're kind of tapping into that reptilian brain, right? That that right. light kind of uh, you know thing that's going on. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you are you familiar with? He has a podcast. I can't think of his first name, but it's Huber, Huberman, and he has the Huberman Labs in Stanford University. I, you know, if I saw him, I, the name I don't recognize the name, but is he the one that works with the the monkeys, or uh, he does like the evolutionary biology stuff related to stress? No, well, he his was stress. Is a lot of it was like eyes and dilation. He used a lot of like the virtual uh, simulations and stuff. But he was showing like a soft gaze versus like a focused gaze, being parasympathetic and sympathetic. Oh, okay, that's neat. But uh, yeah, he, I mean, I can't remember where I was going with it, but he uh, he had a lot of cool things uh, uh, with anxiety, like even uh, reasons for it, mitigating it and stuff. But it was a a really good podcast that he's come out with and he the reason i knew about him is because uh i went to this breath seminar mm-hmm. so like with breath and uh, you know you could kind of control anxiety you could kind of control your your uh, nervous sense the nervous system state so parasympathetic and sympathetic through breath and a lot of that was his work i think they've always known it but a lot of he, he did a lot of research like backing it that was what i would say so in his in his research, he said, you know, we always thought of it as fight or flight or freeze. And what he came to kind of uh, unfold is there really isn't a fight mechanism unless you're like trained or traumatized. So most people don't have like in, innately have this fight mechanism. They have uh, and, and, you know, that could be cultural. Like even if you think about like hunter gatherers, uh, but most of us just have flight or freeze until we're trained otherwise. Okay. I thought that was always fascinating because like, I'm like, yeah, like it's like football, like a guy kind of freezes when he's out there in Pop Warner or even if it's his first day of freshman ball. But as he tr- gets trained and becomes more confident and more skilled, you know, he's better off. Whereas like um, uh, with, with martial arts, uh, I, when I was up in Humboldt, I'm not going to drop any names. When I got in the Hall of Fame, there was a brawl that happened. Right. And I was probably more confident than ever that I could break it up and like subdue the people without hitting anybody mm-hmm. and, and, and feel fully protected because I, you know, cause of jujitsu and, and I, and I did it really well. And I thought, uh, at least, at least 30% of the, the little brawl I was able to control and not further escalate. I couldn't handle everyone there. You know, there's some wild cats over there, Yes, but I, I felt, I felt like I had, uh, I didn't, I didn't have, I, you know, I guess having like the range, I had the fight mechanism, obviously, because I learned it, but I automatically have flight or freeze, but I was able to almost choose, not almost, I was able to kind of choose what I wanted to do. I think that's like, uh, you know, uh, like the kind of bliss that we would all search for to like be able to make a choice through the noise of our state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, you can hear, definitely tell that you had confidence going into the situation. Right. I mean, you always hear in sports or anything that we talk about indecision kills. So, yeah, you know, you, you don't want a guy just sitting there and being indecisive. I want you to make a decision. It's either going to be the right one. Or it's going to be the wrong one. We can coach that up, but just sitting there and being indecisive, you can't have that. Yeah. And it, you know, that's kind of cool because some of the guys I always talk to right now, uh, these coaches and stuff from around the country, we do like a zoom meeting every week. It's we, we talk about skills ultimately your ability to make decisions. 
you know, like we've always been through all these drills and stuff that don't really address decision making. We do drills that like, oh, we work our footwork. We work, you know, uh, our hips, we work our hands, but we never really address the decision making, the adaptability, because we didn't really throw in like the nuance of the environment. You know, it was like, hey, we're hitting a bag. Well, that's that's really far off from the game. You know what I mean? But if I'm hitting a player and shoulder pads, that's a little closer. If I'm hitting a player and shoulder pads while having to watch this Mike linebacker, now I'm like adding in the decision making so like uh, to the game. So I might better branch off into that. But it was something you kind of mentioned was, you know, don't be indecisive. Well, that's something you train too. Yeah, and it's hard to simulate a game environment. I mean, was there ever a preseason game that you played in that was just like a regular season game? A preseason game for me was like the Super Bowl, bro. Okay. Okay. I was like, okay, I, because I have to, I'm, I'm number 55 on the roster right now. Yeah. I got to make 53. So like they, there was never like, that would be the most intense thing. Wednesday practices and preseason games might as well have been a Super Bowl to me. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So like, uh, um, there was like, there was like real games going in, doing the warm up where I'm like, I know I'm the eighth man or I'm the seventh man that seemed less significant than certain preseason games. I see. You know what I mean? When you started started, uh, those last years with the Cardinals, when you had a few games that you started, how was that compared to when you were in the preseason? I just think I felt so ready by then. I was like, I had all, you know what I mean? I I, I started at that point, 20 preseason games. I've taken a couple hundred snaps in the league. When I got there, I was was just ready. And you know what I mean? Uh, Had that been earlier on, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Given my experiences up to that point, I was just ready, you know? Nice. Uh, I was uh, – I would take my walkthrough reps like uh, like it was a game rep. Okay. So I would train my eyes. You know what I mean? We'd do walkthrough. In the NFL, you do walkthrough all day, 11 on 11. That's probably your best drill. But some people just go through the motions. I was taking my set, getting my spot, throwing my hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if I was run blocking, I was coming off real hard and then cruising. But I, I treated that like game reps. So we're doing the defense we're going to see. They're emulating the moves and stunts we're going to see. So I'm training my, you know, decision-making right there. You know what I mean? So, like, by that time, I was very prepared. I had gone through so much of this stuff. That's how I felt about that, though. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let me go to the next question before I keep rambling all day. <laughs> okay. Th- I feel like I can help in this one, too. but. What, what methods do you have to, like, mitigate anxiety, like, in the, in the, in the moment? You know, not, like, going to counseling and working on something long-term, but in the moment. Yeah, I think, so just those regular butterfly things, the short-term, think to prepare yourself. You know, again, making sure that you physically feel able. So, that means, you know, getting in the weight room. And not that you have to be a oh. four or five guy, right? Like, you clean 300, bench 400, squat five, right? Like, you know, that's like the, the standard, the numbers wise. Yeah. You feel physically able to do the job and you feel physically strong, fast, feeling good, right? Uh, another one, I think if you just, you got to make sure that you study the playbook and you feel confident with the plays that are going to be called for that week and the fronts that you're going to see. If you can mentally be prepared on that, once you get into the real deal in the game situation, what you're going to see and everything, then it can just flow, right? We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're going through what, we're, what we expected to see. I think the last thing too, 
you, you got to expect to make make changes. You got to you're going to have to expect that you're going to see some guys that maybe you weren't prepared for. There might be some guy that comes from the sideline. He has a fast edge rush. I didn't know we could do that. Okay, they might have some blitzes. I didn't. We didn't. We weren't prepared for that. And you just got to know we're going to go over to the sideline. We're going to make adjustments from there. So those I think if you can factor in those things that's going to alleviate a lot of those symptoms, those low-level anxiety symptoms that you may have. You know, okay, that is awesome that you said that because that I, I would have went a completely different direction because, you know, like the team uh, therapists and counselors that we've had and, you know, just social media in general, because there's a lot of information about, like, mitigating anxiety. It's always, okay, it's breath work. It's softening the vision. Like, that's where I would have went because that's not hurt. This is what makes sense. It's like, hey, it's the process of everything leading up to the game. So make sure you're leaving no stone unturned along the way. If you're not training, if you're not working out, if you're, not, if you're, not, if you're just getting weaker and you're not studying, you earn that anxiety. Yep. I, you know, and, that, and that's something maybe uh, with this whole mental health thing, we – it gets too empathetic. And this is, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not opening the door for coaches to be assholes, but where it gets so empathetic that we lose that accountability factor. You, you know what I mean? I do. And I, and so here's the thing in therapy, you want to have unconditional positive regard. All right. I'm not, it's, it would be very, 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 very rare for me to go hard on somebody in a therapeutic setting. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, absolutely. But however, that can be different as a coach, right? You, I can get on to somebody, you know, for, for not going hard enough or for not sticking, you know, their, their foot in the ground and, and driving a certain way, right? You can get on to someone about that, okay? Because there's always that sense of urgency. We never have enough time to prepare for the next game that's coming up. Right. No, that's a good point. But even like, so when you're going to like making changes in therapy, like, and the person's just not doing, you know what I mean? Like you guys are working together, you're a partnership and the person's just not meeting you halfway. You come in the next week and say, Hey, did you, did you try these? Let's say we're trying to work exposure. You, let's say we're, like we're in cognitive behavior therapy. We're trying to work exposure and they're just not doing it. Eventually, you're going to have to be like, okay, I understand why it's hard, but you've got to get out there and do this. Like, there has to be some level of accountability, even the therapy setting, right? Or am I off there? Oh, no, no, you're not off. There, there can be that accountability. I think where you get tripped up is how we're, how we're putting that out there. I got you. Yeah. So, hey, look, Taylor. So, this could be how this session be. Hey, look, Taylor, uh, I know that you want to get better. You want to be able to play, play with more confidence and whatnot on the field. Have you done that? Have you been working on those coping strategies? You say, no, they will. You know, we know that that's a trigger for you. You're not going to get better unless you do that. What do you think we, you can do, you know, to help, help, help you do those things and work on that. Right. That could be kind of how the conversation goes. That conversation is going to look different. You know, if it's a buddy or if it's your coach, right. They might say it with a little more like, Hey, you need to get on this. Okay. We've we yeah. time for this. You, you got to work on this shit, you know, things like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, like, okay, we could probably say the former is probably the most effective way is to be like, hey, there has to be, like, you're, you're holding that person accountable, the, the therapy setting one. You're holding them accountable, but showing empathy. Exactly. So, like, so like a coach, they're going to have a little more sense of urgency, but if they could kind of meet it in the middle, 
and kind of keep that empathy like maybe you know for most people most athletes might be more receptive to that right yeah and again you know the relationship's different right i mean you're spending a lot more hours with that coach you know that coach knows you you know in a different setting right i mean there's yeah you know how it is i mean coach p could talk to us in a certain way that some of those other coaches couldn't i'd have a problem if if coach whoever outside of coach p coach taps coach drew they could have talked to me however and they didn't though maybe that's why they could have talked to me however they talk, they spoke to us all respectfully and held us accountable but they if the other coaches if they wanted to go as hard as they want i'd have been like man you know what i must have really screwed up just because the relationship the way they built those relationships hey i'll be honest that so that north dakota game my junior year remember yeah well, you guys got, I was the cameraman. You guys got smacked. We got smoked, right? It was bad. Yeah. So the story is, I was, uh, I was with Duke. I was roomed up with him. Here's what happened. He blew up the bathroom. I went downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right? yeah. I didn't know that part. So Duke blew up the bathroom. That's why I went downstairs. I go downstairs, and then there's a bunch of dudes from the team. They were at the bar. They were hanging out like, Louie, come here. So of course I go there. I had like one, maybe two drinks. Okay. And again, I'm, I'm 21. I can, I can legally drink. Legally okay. you can do it. I legally I could do it. Was I hammered? No, no, was not. But anyway, you know, got in trouble. Coach, we're, we know who the head coach was at that time, right? Right, right. He brings me in and asks me, were you drinking, Looney? Yeah, I had a couple beers. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, you're an asshole. Da, 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 da. Starts, he, he, chewed, he chewed my ass out. And then, I know, you know he wouldn't have chewed that for a week. Was that was the defensive captain with you, right? I think so. He didn't get chewed out. No, he didn't. I got guarantee he didn't get chewed out. I got chewed out. Okay, yeah. Ridiculous. So someone had to be the example. Someone had to, I guess. Whatever. But what, do you, that's a, that's what was Duke that's eating that's though? This is coaching right there, right? Yeah, but but if but if uh, Coach P chewed you out, you'd be like, man, he's right. Exactly. It would have been different. I don't think Coach P would have called me, you know, an asshole, piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. This yeah. Time, right? Like, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I yeah. think, uh, yeah, that's interesting. What do you think Duke ate? What was he eating? They yeah. blew it up. Probably had some pork. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, okay. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Okay, so I'm going to just recap that. So for anxiety, yeah, we have th- we have ways of mitigating stress immediately okay i'll I'll touch on those real quick there's breathing routines you could go online they're real simple box breathing uh you can soften your eyesight when you get to kind of um you know mitigate uh stress there's there's uh meditation techniques and there's mindfulness techniques that you could use within two minutes to kind of mitigate that stress immediately but what looney's saying and what makes more sense in the football world is that Basically, if you're not preparing week in, week out, and that's what you're supposed to do, that stress you're earning. So you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be harder for you if you're not training, if you're not watching film. And I think the the most important thing was, is that he said, is you have to know that this shit's not going to be perfect out there, that you're getting ready for chaos. So keeping in mind that you're getting ready for chaos, you should train and be as ready as possible. Otherwise, that anxiety is kind of on you. So we're holding you accountable, but being empathetic that the, the, this anxiety exists and is inhibiting good performances. So 
keep that in mind that the process you you really getting into the process of prep preparing is going to help with the stress because you're going to be more confident. If you're more confident, you're going to be more competent athlete. That's what it's about. All of those things that I was talking about, it lends you to be more confident. You can always tell when a player has lost his confidence out there. You don't have to be, you know, uh, a psychologist or anything. You can watch the game and tell when someone is not playing with confidence. And that's what every, all of that is geared towards you going into the game and feeling confident. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen guys like get pulled when I was on the bears, somebody got pulled mm-hmm. and he went in the weight room the next week. I, I, he trained harder than he ever did. And you want to be like, Hey man, why the hell didn't you do this the last month? But also like, he was like, you know what? I need, I got some shit to prove. I need to get this job back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he, he was on the right track, even though like we were like criticizing, like, Oh, now you want to do it. Well, okay, man. Well, now you want to do it. You, you realize you're being anxious. You're underperforming. You lost your confidence out there. Okay. Well, you can change what you were last week. Doesn't mean you have to be that way this week. You can get better. So like, just know that's going to come with criticism from your teammates and coaches, but stick to it, stick to that damn process, come get better in ways that you weren't doing before. So you could be more confident. You don't have to be the same person you were regardless of the stigma of your team feeling about, you know what I mean? We're going to do that. This guy's never worked hard in his life. He gets benched and now he's going to work. You're going to hear that criticism and you earned it, but stick with it. Don't let that shame or guilt deter you from getting on track. Like if this is the first time you're on track and you're, if it took you getting destroyed or getting your ass beat, losing your confidence in order for you to put, start putting your best foot forward, there's a gift in that too. Totally. So that's stick with it. Looking at it. That's a, a very positive way to look at it. Yeah. Right. Now there was so, another thing you mentioned, the, the meditation. Yeah. How much is that being talked about in, in your coaching circles today? I'll tell you what, not the coaches. Okay. 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 We can, I, I mean, if we're going to be honest, it's a culture where, it's, it doesn't – with coaching, you're, you're not necessarily going to be a self-aware, empathetic uh, person, right? You know what I mean? You're kind of part of that culture. Some, there, there's some coaches that, it, that it do, they get it, you know what I mean? They get that it's difficult and stuff like that or at least empathetic or they're at least more realistic than others. But it's not the coaches. I think in the strength and conditioning world, it showed up. And in the nutrition world, it showed up a lot. And then every team was kind of forced to hire team counselors. Uh, in 2014, we had uh, – there's a type of yoga. It's called Yoga Nidra. Okay. So it's yoga with a guided meditation. So you're getting like two for one. So they hired one. They hired a Yoga Nidra instructor for us and stuff. So that was like my introduction to meditation. Uh, I've never – I've never heard one position coach or head coach talk about meditation, but I've heard the strength coaches talk about it. Even old school type strength coaches have started talking about it. So it's, it's, it's coming around. I, I'll tell, I'll tell guys like, uh, it's not meditation. They call it, but the mindfulness app and stuff. I think there's a, I think we kind of conflated the two mindfulness and, uh, breathing and, or the three mindfulness, breathing and meditation. They're a little different, but they're all related. Yes. yes. But, but, uh, I'll, I'll tell kids like, Hey, go, go try this, go start your day like this. You know what I mean? With the app and, you know, a lot of them like love it. So that's it's great. coming around. It's coming around. It's definitely coming around too uh, on the education side. Uh, you know, one of my one of my qualms with it is that 
I think for the younger kids, I think the more developed you are frontal lobe wise, so just older, the more benefit you get to some of the meditation practices, like once you start getting really deep into it. But one of the parallels that I see whenever we start talking about you know, meditation or just deep breathing in general, whenever you talk about anxiety, anxiety is kind of always at, it's a constant, right? And if you can do those deep breathing exercises, that can help for you to bring yourself back down to baseline. And then now we can start off new, right? So yeah. again, doing those like two minute deep breathing or the box breaths, whatever that, that may be, that can help you if you're kind of feeling cloudy in your yeah. brain, that brain fog, kind of the haze thing or whatever that can bring you back down to where now you can think clearly and you can focus again. So, you know, like uh, when you talk neurotransmitters, you know, dope, I'm, I'm in addiction class right now. Oh, right. So we're talking, yeah. we're talking behavioral addiction and substance addiction. Okay. So we're learning about the brain and, you know, we talk dopamine a lot. Yeah. So it's a neurotransmitter, but it was, it's always been like, Oh, it's the feel good neurotransmitter, but it's also like the neurotransmitter that helps us make sense of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so when you have like really anxious and depressed people, what we don't realize is that every, every bit of known epinephrine, which is, that's your, that's like your anxious, how would you explain it? Like an anxiety neurotransmitter? It's, yeah, it's your it's adrenaline. Up, it's, it's kind of a stimulant. It has a stimulatory effect, yeah. I believe. So it, and, and, and it has its benefits. You, you, without it, you wouldn't get out of bed. You wouldn't get off the couch. You wouldn't go to your workouts, right? It has its benefits. But so every bit of known epinephrine started as dopamine. Okay. So, so when dope, when all of a sudden, like you, you're just high known epinephrine, you have no dopamine. It's hard to make sense of the world. Mm. It's like when you tell somebody, like, it's all in your head, like someone's super depressed or anxious. It's all in your head. You're, you know what I mean? They can't, it, it, well, it is in their head, but they can't make sense of it. And then you tell them to go to counseling or whatever, and they'll, they'll, they'll beat around the bush. It's because they're just don't have any of the dopamine to help them make sense of everything, but you can, you know, really, uh, I guess, control your biology and physiology with the breath. And it's, it's, it's simple. You know what I mean? It might not be permanent, but it's, you know, like you said, getting off that baseline and stuff like it, it, it can work really fast. Yeah. Uh, another neurotransmitter is serotonin. Have you Ser- yeah. That's like the, uh, yeah. That serotonin, uh, is the topic right now because of the psychedelic research. The SSRI, selective yeah. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yeah. And then at John Hopkins, they're doing studies on uh, psilocybin, which yeah. is, it's, I think those psychedelics work on the serotonin uh, receptors. Okay. Yeah. Interesting stuff, though. Very interesting. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, I like where you're at, though, because where my mind is just because of the people talking to me over the last, you know, 10 years in the NFL and stuff, it was always like these, these ways to mitigate stress with breathing and meditation and stuff. You, you know, the player you mentioned uh, with the um, uh, not, not narcissistic, the, uh, the uh, you mentioned him last episode. It, it's the personality disorder. The, uh, oh yeah. 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 What's what, what disorder is that? Uh, borderline personality. Disorder. Borderline. Yeah. Sorry. He was big into meditation and he, and he encouraged athletes to do it. Well, it's part of dialectical behavior therapy, which is, is it? What, yeah. That, so Marshall Linehan, whenever you guys were talking about, when I said I went to Colorado and got trained in that, he went yeah. there as well. And, uh, and that, that's what it is. It's kind of, it's CBT on steroids with meditation added into it. 
so just so you guys know, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is in a nutshell, it's your thoughts controlling your behaviors, you know, automatic thoughts, basically in a nutshell, the thoughts you have become your behaviors. Yep. Um, okay. This is off topic. Well, not, there's no topic. So I was in the NFL, like in one of the alumni things, the professional developments, there was a counselor that I was able to get connected with. So she worked with a couple teams and then she now works with the military and um, like, like big companies with CEOs and, and, you know, board of directors and stuff like that. So she was telling me, I, I was talking to her about the, this class I'm in about addiction and behavioral addiction. And she was saying, yeah, she found like cognitive behavioral therapy with the athletes and coaches. And she said the behavioral addictions, the process addictions, like that's like the gambling holics, sex addicts. So she goes, that that's the, they see more of that addiction in, in a professional sports than they saw the drug addictions. Right. But they found cognitive behavioral therapy to be uh, very, you know, effective in that. But she said, so we started talking and I brought up our conversation and I talked about that athlete with the borderline personality disorder. And she said that she found that there's, there's a quite a bit of really high level athletes with borderline personality disorder. And when you work with them, it's actually really easy to make them like really to help them have really good careers, not have like a lot of like meltdowns and stuff to be very coachable. She said, you'd be surprised how many they are. And a lot of them are like your best players. Okay. So she was like saying, cause they, they take things like very personal to the point where they, that if you have them aware of it, they can be actually become very coachable and very good teammates and good leaders. She said, but untreated, she's like, it could be a train wreck. That makes sense. But she brought up um, narcissistic athletes. And she said they can't last. Do you have any experience with narcissistic or just maybe in school, the education with narcissism? Uh, it's so not really, you know, with, with mine, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, adolescence, you know, so we yeah. kids in the teenage years. And so we might have those borderline traits, but they, the criteria for borderline personality disorder is like 18 and older. Right. Yeah, so I have some of those traits. So they might be like some bipolar traits or, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> the, the narcissism, I mean, just yeah, an overinflated sense of self, like they think they're, they're manipulating everybody when they're not like they think they're really pulling one over on you. you know, yeah, I, that a lot like a lot of the manipulators. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were so insecure. Like she was like, oh, they're the most insecure people in the world. They're just not in touch with their insecurities. Yeah. And that could be the part of therapy that, you know, leads them down the path to becoming good leaders. Right. Yeah. What, what she was talking about the narcissism, she said oh, what happens yeah. What she was saying, what happened? Cause she was like, there's a lot of overlap between the two borderline and narcissistic uh, personality disorders. But she said like the, uh, the narcissistic people, like they, they, they were like, how dare this person think they know more than me that kind of thing. So they're not, they can't become coachable, but then they're so insecure that like, she said they like literally will sabotage their career. Like as they get towards, let's say you start losing a step around that fifth year. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll like do something to literally sabotage their career. So they don't have to play. They wouldn't want anyone to ever see them lose a step. 
Because and I was like, cool, it's on their terms, right? Yeah, and I was like, wow, that's fascinating. She's like, they would just be, they would rather end it all and have like almost an excuse and and and, and even even almost play victim to why something didn't go like it was supposed to because. Obviously, they're the you know that she was like to them they're the greatest thing ever that God ever invented, but she said that they don't last in athletics, and then she said, but they do become coaches, and they'll be there forever. She said the one thing about borderline personality disorder versus the narcissist is the narcissist has no empathy, and they can just tear everyone down and feel good about it. You know what I mean? But they have no empathy. But the borderline personality disorder they are empathetic. Mm. Uh, and she even said, like, in business, the narcissist, because she now works in business, the narcissist, they're, they're like, some of them are brilliant, innovative people. They're good for, like, two or three years in an industry, and an industry will catch up to them, and they won't compete because they'd be like, oh, me competing would make me look bad. Who are these guys? So, like, she's like, when you, she said, if you were, like, voting in a CEO, you could do really well with a narcissist for three years. you got to get rid of them once the the innovation is caught up to. It's interesting stuff. I like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I didn't mean to get off track of that, but yeah. So anyways, if we recap what we were talking about, if we're talking anxiety, there's so much things you can look into meditation, mindfulness, breathing, but just remember you have to prepare and then you have to know that you're getting into chaos. You'll and the more prepared you are, the more readily available order will be able to be found in that chaos so all of a sudden you you didn't think you were playing this guy and all you thought he was hurt and he shows up pregame and he's 100 percent. he took a torrid all shot and he's about to whoop your ass as long as you were prepared maybe with this new introduced chaos you'll find some order That's but right. if, if not you're going to be anxious and that might be on you <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely i want to add too if you are feeling those other symptoms of anxiety where it is affecting your game it is affecting you outside you know definitely seek that professional guidance the earlier that you can get on those symptoms the better chance you're going to have for good outcomes on that it's just like you know when should you start losing weight you know when you're 10 pounds overweight or when you're 100 pounds it's always easier to start earlier right it's the same thing with anxiety i mean and i think that the uh the athletic world i even see high school coaches because this is hard for me to fathom there was no way a high school coach would be like, maybe you should go talk to someone. They'd be like, maybe you need to go bear crawl a thousand yards, you pussy. You know what I mean? It's come so full circle to them being, there's less stigma attached to the mental health. Like I've said, like, and it's, it's, it's a catch 22 almost, yes. but they've come around. So where would a, let's say you're a high school kid. Where do you start? You need help. Talk to you. Who, who would you start with? Go to your school counselor, or if you know who your school psychologist is, maybe go there that that would be that would be the place to go that that seems to be the criteria because so when i joined the master's program yes originally i started in school counseling because they were like it doesn't matter the, the beginning of school counseling and the beginning of the counseling program are, are the same classes it's the second half where it gets more into like managing students versus continuing with uh counseling stuff so i switched eventually because the criteria, it seems like, is more schools want a school psychologist rather than a, uh, a school uh, counselor. Yeah, and some schools are even like hiring mental health clinicians as well. Yeah. It depends on the school, what area you have, what kind of funding they have. 
Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and then, so here's the thing. Here's coming from me. Uh, and Looney's a doctor. Like, there's no shame in this. Like, you know what I mean? If, if you're having this anxiety and stuff, there's no shame in going to seek help. To me, like, if you got to think about how, if you, if, let's just put this through the lens of football. The reason football is tough is because you're being vulnerable. Every freaking play. You got 60 snaps a game. Every play, there's somebody that's going to lose. That someone could be freaking you, but you freaking show up anyways, and you put your best foot forward. That is the definition of vulnerability. To me, that is the definition of being tough. You know what I mean? Like, tough is not being able to just mask everything. I get the whole stoic arguments, but tough is knowing, hey, I could get my ass kicked, and I don't give a fuck. Let's roll. So, hey, you know what? I'm dealing with some mental shit. My friends can, you know, maybe they're going to make fun of me. But you know what? I'm going to make the vulnerable choice. I'm going to go dance with my vulnerability. I'm going to go talk to this counselor, and I'm going to be better for it. That's tough. I mean, is that how you see it? Uh, Yes. And, you know, tough comes to mind. Also, brave comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate the word tough and soft. I hate using that. You know what I mean? But no, it always gets lumped into being masculine or whatnot and, and all yeah. these things that may be cultural, right? But yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard coaches be like, oh, well, I, I only tough and soft is is uh is I, I only use soft to describe lazy. I'm like, well, you're you're conflating adjectives. Is he lazy? Okay, fine. Well, how can we teach him to value hard work? Or are you, you know what I mean? And I've seen it a lot of times, I'm not calling anyone out, but I've seen like really overweight coaches. Be like, oh, they're lazy. Well, show them they're not lazy. You know what I mean? Let's do this together. We yeah. gotta we're in this shit together, right? Coaches and players, we're not going anywhere. The game needs us both. So if you're gonna call people soft or lazy, show them, show them you're not. You know what I mean? Be that be that example. Exactly. Um, we got a little bit of time here. I'll just say, uh, so like, and you kind of address this. So as a psychologist. How would this have helped you? How would all this knowledge have helped you, you know, dealing with being a high school and college athlete? I think I would have played a lot more calmer and a lot more technical. I think I, think I kind of played a little outside of myself and I would let aggression kind of lead the way for me a little more often, right? And kind of that, that idea of playing tough, you know? Right. Because there, there are times I may not have, been the strongest I may not have been the most athletic uh but you know what if I'm gonna if I gotta if I gotta cut someone I'm I'm gonna throw the hell out of my elbow towards their opposite knee right like you know that's the mindset I'd have I'm gonna be really aggressive in in my style of play and I think at times that may have hurt my technique whenever I was you know doing certain things so yeah looking back this this mindset probably would have helped me in those areas yeah okay that that makes a lot of sense like um, I think I talked about it last episode. It was a box that probably needed to be checked that I didn't know existed. Right. For me, like I was good at handling. You give me time, you give me a, you give me an obstacle and you give me time or you give me some stress or you throw some demands my way. and You give me time. I was, that was easy, but you know what I mean? Like that instant I could get lost a little bit. You know what I mean? And like you say, maybe I get away from the technique or my technique was being nasty. Like, you know what I mean? Like mine was like being nasty with technically nasty, I guess. 
So I think if uh, me handling uh, stuff in the moment, I just relied on my technique instead of being nasty with technique. So my ours is kind of the opposite, mm-hmm. but it definitely would have uh, it definitely would have helped improve some things. Yes, definitely. I mean, I was trying to get I was trying to get pancakes that tackle, you know. So, yeah. All right, I see it. You know, you have more opportunities for those nice little pancakes from your garden center, you know. <laughs> uh, I think I still would have led the team in pancakes to tackle. That's not a, we're, we're not going to debate. We're no, not, gonna I'm not debate. debating that. I'm just, <laughs> that, that was my mindset. I was trying to compete with you, man. I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to try to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to win this, this pancake, pancake prize here for this. Yeah. So shout out to Coach P. So we had this, uh, we called them KOs, our pancakes. And you knock someone over when you block them, we call them KOs. And he would give a boxing glove with everyone would sign it and sign their number of pancakes. And then uh, we had that axe award, which he would give an axe. Everyone would sign it. And that was for the people that let in cuts. I had like two cuts. I couldn't cut. I was terrible. Hey, how many I, cuts did Fountain have that last game to win it? Oh, he was going off. We had like, okay, so we weren't that good. We went two and nine. I think, who did we beat? We beat uh, – Azusa Pacific. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, it was uh, Southern Oregon. S- Southern Oregon. So we beat two NAIA teams. We beat Southern Oregon 15-14. We probably should have lost. We kept getting calls in our favor. Yep. So uh, going to the last game, we're losing the division. You're losing the conference. So it was like guys were just competing for uh, the cut award. We had – they were just – as Zoe also. They were just throwing cuts on things that you never throw cuts on. But you had to tally them up. And, like, guys were getting, like, everyone was in the teens that last game except for me on the cuts because I was like, it ain't no point in me competing. I could cut every single play, and I won't have enough cuts at this point. So, <laughs> but people were just throwing cuts on pass, pro, five-step drop, seven-step drop, insides, just cut, just cut. It is what it is. People were trying to get that axe award. That was fun, man. Uh, we had some weirdos in there, man. We had some psychos in there. In that oh, room. Oh yeah, we're we're that was, we were different. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> that was fun. I think like when you talk to Coach P, he's like very aware of this whole mental side of things, and he's oh, he uh, he's kind of he was. And looking back, he was probably ahead of that. Yeah, you know, like we, he wasn't actually addressing it outright, but in his style of coaching, he was definitely facilitating that. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And he was definitely he was more of a teacher, like, you know what I mean? And he was very adaptable to individuals. I always talk about he always taught different technique for everybody, like based on them. And I don't think that was common for a college coach to be able to do that. A D2 college coach. Yeah. So in in high school, he's super aware of all this. uh, The, you know, like maybe like the bullshit culture. And, and, And let's just be honest. He was talking about my grandpa, the colonel, used to always say tough times make tough men like outside of this pandemic. There's nothing so tough in society. So you have to understand, like kids are different now. And I'm not saying they're softer or they're lazy or whatever. It's just different times. Our parents, like my grandparents were tough. You know, what I mean, they go through Vietnam and Great Depression and stuff like that. So they're automatically different. But uh He's just aware, like, kids are different. You don't coach them the same way every year. Every generation has their own trials and stuff they're dealing with. And Coach P is always adaptable. Like, you, you have good conversations with him about it. But, but he also does, like, 
he kind of works at the school counseling side too, you know, because he's oh, at a okay. private school. So he gets it. He and people are coming to him with all kinds of problems. He's very aware of everything, and he was already a good coach to begin with. Man, shout out to Coach P, man. Shout out Manoa Hawano. Who taught you that, Taylor? Who taught you that, Manoa Hawano? I can't remember what he was yelling at me about. But the coach was. about a snap? It, it, was, it had something to do with maybe the way you were snapping, or we were doing a walk. Yeah, it was. It was. It was the way I was snapping. Like I hurt my finger, and I had like three bad snaps. And Coach P was like, "Just do it like this." That's what it was. And then Coach Rod was like, "Hey, all your snaps are good. Who taught you that?" I was like, "Manoa Hawano." <laughs> Good times, man. I mean, Looney, I want to have you back on regularly, if you don't mind, if we can keep doing this, because I feel like we're going to keep getting questions and stuff. It's 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 the topic of the times, right? I'm really enjoying it. This this has been – it's been really great, you know, being able to chop it up with you and talk about all this. And I, I don't have a background in the sports psychology, but I do have that background in athletics and then now, you know, working on the mental health side of things with, you know, special education and whatnot, you know, I'm kind of bridging the gap. It's making me want to get it in into more of that sports psychology stuff. So yeah, anybody, anybody out there has any book recommendations? Uh, your brain on sports, bro. Ah, is that what I need to get on? Yeah, your brain on sports. Dude, it's very similar. I was talking to Duke's cousin about it, Big Duke 50's cousin. Mm. He's a sports psychologist. And he was like, I was asking him, what should I do? He was like, just do the counseling, get your master's, go get your licensed professional counseling you know, the LPC, he's like, just do that. And he was like, it opened up a lot of doors because you, once you're, you're licensed, you know what I mean? And then he was like, you could always go back and do the sports psychology, but they're, they're related. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know what I mean? The ones that found it, it's just, one's just the nuance of the foundation. Yes. So like, I think in that book, your brain on sports, I can't remember specifically, but they, instead of PTSD, they called it like sports traumatic stress disorder. Oh, okay. And they talked about, you know, like the yips in baseball? Yes. So they talked a lot about that. I know like centers that have had the yips. Uh, I've talked about my friend Ted Larson. He had the yips. And then like one way he would snap the ball all weird and he couldn't fix it, even though he played center, never had a problem. And the the first thing you do is they used to do is they switch your technique. Now now you see centers do that dead ball snap. I don't know if you paid attention to that weird. I, I, you know personally and I, I wasn't a center but I, I don't like it I, I don't like the way it looks but I'm like you know what they pass the ball more than I had to nowadays everyone's doing this, this air raid and then uh you got to adapt to the player so he went to that and it fixed his snap but they would use like a cognitive behavioral approach because what they said is like you would have the yips and then you would have a bad snap and then they changed the technique your delivery and it would fix the yips but then it would eventually come back because the cause of it, something up here. So they'd go from there to using like a cognitive behavioral approach to ultimately solve it. You know it's what's very related. You know what's funny with that is I don't think if I was working with that, I don't think I'd mess around with the technique as much. Because the technique is what's got you into the league. You would I mean, go right to the mental side, right? I'd go to the mental side or maybe there's like, a, you know, you're releasing the ball too soon or too late or something like that. Like I wouldn't mess yeah. with technique a whole whole lot I think you know a long way of fixing the problem yeah no I, I i agree with you because um i always talk about it now like we have with with the phones we have so much access to you like really working with individuals and seeing everything yeah. and like 
you can show because there's a difference between your perception oftentimes and the reality. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm, my, I perceive I'm snapping it perfect. I'm not turning my wrist. Well, you put it on camera yep. and they see it. So I think there's so much things you could solve with the perception aspect of O-line. I didn't think I was oversetting. I'm feeling I'm inside out. Well, no, look at man. Your, your, your dick's on their outside ear. You got to be knee to crutch. You know what I mean? You're oversetting. You don't see it, but you perceive it one way. But with the phones, like you could do that in any, all the time. You could be like, no, look it. And let's fix it from there. Oh, they got the GoPros. They're, they're really high quality. Now you could set it up on a stand. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a, it's a waste. Not to, I'm seeing if there's any other questions, but we're, we're actually out of time. So we're going to keep doing this. Oluni. Yeah. I'm down with it, man. Let's do it. I think that was the most questions I had was based on your uh, last podcast. So I'll just anticipate more coming and I'll send them to you before you get a little prep in and stuff like that. Or you come across anything you want to talk about, you see, or I watch, if I see some mental health stuff, I'll send it your way and we'll get on it. All right. All right, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. All right. Hand on the line podcast, episode 10, like this video, share this video. Let's get these YouTube views up. I want to monetize this thing. Let's get these <laughs> likes up, man. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the support. We're getting over 1,100 views on Apple or 1,100 listens. Let's get those views up, baby. All right. Thanks, Looney. <laughs> All right.